Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Okay, today I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite things to talk about is money. And I love talking about money because one, there's so much shame around money. There's so much scarcity around money, and there's a lot of cultural programming of it's rude to talk about money. You shouldn't be talking about money. It's low class to talk about money. And money is a currency that we use to exchange goods and services. That's what money is. And the more that we can talk about it and normalize it and get clear about it, we can have a healthier relationship with money and overcome a lot of the shame and the scarcity and the judgment that comes with money. So I love talking about it because whatever we talk about, it can't keep secrets. Shame can't grow. We have enough shame. Let's talk about money. And before we go into today's topic about affordability, I want to share a client win, something I'm doing right now for with the podcast, because I think it's so important to celebrate the wins. I do this with my clients and their reflections each week. They they share with their yamey moments. What What was a win that happened? Because we pay attention to all the stuff that's not working. And we may bypass the wins and we need to collect those because man, life is challenging, right? Life is a struggle as I shared with you all. And there's beautiful moments. There are wins that we have and we need to absorb those too. Otherwise, it's like the Taylor Swift song, Death by a Thousand Cuts. So I had a client who had a win that I want to share with you because when she first came to me a couple of years ago, one of the things that started to, she at some point shared, and that's the beauty of a coaching relationship is that trust is built in small moments over time. And at one point she shared this tremendous vulnerability because she was a successful business owner and she had been told the story and she really bought into it and allowed herself to take on this identity. But she had somebody in her life tell her that she was bad with money And so she carried that story for some 20 years that she was bad with money, even though she was a very successful business owner, even though she had put her kids through college, even though she had been a single parent, but this voice of this person was in the back of her head. It was like a squatter that was squatting and living rent-free in her brain. And that's what happened. And it really got in the way of her being able to take up space in her own life, of her being able to really create what she wanted because she had that weighing her down. And so then fast forward two years later, there's been, you know, a whole bunch of stuff we've worked on. But the cool thing is for two years in a row, she's been able to celebrate the financial goals that she really, really wanted, but didn't believe that she could. And part of it was that obstacle of, being told that she was somebody that wasn't good with money, right? And it was a conflicting belief because she also knew that she could make money, but it still rumbled in her head. And here's the thing, and I share this with you because this will probably resonate in a lot of your stories. It was her spouse that had told her, it's now her ex-husband, but oftentimes it's the people that we love the most 
that maybe meaningfully will want to try to give us support. (laughs) Right. But it can create a huge burden on us. And I don't, I don't know what his situation was. I don't know if it was to be mean. I don't know if it was to try to inspire action, but it became a limiting belief for her. And the reason I share that is, again, with that situation, I don't know, but I'm often coaching around these intimate relationships that we have where somebody that we trust so much and when there's so much vulnerability, we'll say something and then we'll allow our own identity to, to be created from that. And it's not even true. So client win two years in a row, she's exceeded her financial goals. And I just want to say there's some context around that because we think, oh, if you make more money, you must be working harder. She's been making more money and working on being really deliberate with her time and work. I want to be careful that I don't say working less because there's a whole lot of context that you need to have understand that. But She's been very deliberate about her schedule and how she works and how she shows up and the money that she makes and been working on those goals. So that's, that's a huge thing. And then here's the other thing I was thinking about as I was putting this show together today for you is this idea of being good with money, right? It's really subjective because frankly, what the hell does that really mean? I mean, I have identified as a person for a long time now, for about probably 10, 15 years that I'm really good with money and I am. And that comes from overcoming my own belief that I was a loser from loser street and I was poor and all of that. I learned that there are tools that, you know, money is a math problem and you figure out the math. I can recognize the shame or the scarcity around money. I understand the fear of money, all of it. And I've become somebody that's good with money, but my definition of good may be very different than my client's ex-husband of definition, right? And the other thing is realize my client was making a lot of money and she was supporting her kids and putting them through college. So what does it mean when somebody says you're not good at something? And then we take that and we're like, oh, they think I'm bad at this. And so then we hustle, we work really hard, we beat ourselves up and we don't even know what does not being good at something mean? Is that true for you? Do you believe that? Right? Like I am good with money because I live within my values with money and I've gotten really clear about money and you know, there's vulnerabilities with money, right? And there's, there's always learning, but I'm really good with money. And the biggest reason is that I changed the trajectory of my family of origins relationship with money. I guess my, my invitation for you is that that is possible for me. What is possible for you? Maybe today's show will help you gather some insight of one area that you can work on and practice. And it's on this idea of affordability. And we have this magical thinking of once I make a certain amount, once I am worth a certain amount, if I were rich or those rich people never have to worry about affordability. <laughs> And my friend, that is not true. That is magical thinking. (laughs) There is always at every price point, at every income level, there's always going to be that, do we spend money? Do we not? Some people will maybe just not spend the money and they'll put their head in the sand and spend this money and the money does stop, right? There's circumstances that change. NBA basketball players, the statistic that I heard a long time ago was, I think 75% of NBA basketball players end up bankrupt. I mean, those guys make a lot, a lot of money. They also can spend a lot, a lot of money. 
So there always needs to be discernment with the money that we have. Lottery winners, a lot of them end up, they win a lot of money and they end up with huge losses. Like we hear about this all the time. So we think that once we have a certain amount of money, we never have to have discernment. There's always discernment because the more money you have, the more windows of a possibility, there's more expensive things that you're going to see that you may not have known about. And I've walked a lot of clients through these situations as they've increased their, their salaries, their net worth, the opportunities, what they thought that they would be spending money on, and then the opportunities and the lifestyles that they wanted to have, those change. And so affordability has always become a question, you know, is this something that I can afford, right? And we, sometimes we go back to our old ways of being. So I want to talk about that. Some years ago, it was a long time ago, we had a situation in our family and I said something to my husband about like, oh, well, we should hire this person for this. And he immediately was rebuffed and said, we can't afford that. <laughs> and I had done my work, my friends, because he has powerful energy. He says, we can't afford it. Right. And I could have been like, oh yeah, you're right. We, we can't afford it because this is not the way that we spend money. And I looked at him and I just started to laugh. And I said, it's not a matter of, can we afford it? It's a matter of, is this where we choose to spend our money? And to be able to then be in the vulnerability of rumbling. And I didn't even know about rumbling back then, but being able to talk about it and to say, here are the reasons why I think it's important, especially when you have somebody that has huge resistance towards it. One, to spending the money, two, to, you know, hiring this other person, like just the huge resistance, right? So this is where this concept came up from a long, long time ago of, it's not a matter of if we can afford that, it's a matter of, do we choose to spend our resources on that? That's a really important question. Instead of going, I can't afford that. Do I choose to spend resources on that? And then you have to really be willing to look and it's vulnerable of what do you need to spend money on? What is that money for? Right? That's really, really important. As well as understanding what may be the obstacles in spending the money. And so in that situation, right? there was some family of origin of this is how we do things, right? There can be a past self-identity. When I was a college student, I had this identity of I'm a starving college student. I was never starving <laughs> and I needed to get free food. And so whenever I'd go to Costco, I'd be like, oh, see, I need to eat this. Oh yes, I'm not hungry, but I need to eat this. These are free samples. You know, I'm a starving not college student, and I wasn't starving, but I had carried that past self-identity with me, and which then had me give myself permission to overindulge in all this food and overeat. We can do that with our relationships with money. Maybe you're thinking that you can't go and have a nice dinner because you're still in the, well, I'm a, you know, struggling professional, but you're not a struggling professional anymore, right? Or maybe at one point in your life, you didn't have the resources to go and get a massage, but you do have those resources. So it's about really checking in with what is the identity that may be the obstacle in you even looking at where you want to choose to spend your money. And it can be, so I talked about food, I talked about massage, 
It can be in travel. Sometimes I have clients that, you know, have gotten to a point where art's really, really important and they want to spend money on that. It can be cars. Some people spending money on cars because it's so hardwired. That's something that has been constant in your family of origin or in your relationships or in your social circles that of course you do that right? For me, the areas that of course we spend money on are in those fast suits in swimming. And I remember when they first came out, well, they weren't first came out, but I remember when our daughters got to the age where they started to need them for competition. And it was like, okay, of course, we're going to spend $518 for a suit that may last one weekend meet, maybe two versus a family going, wait a second, why can't we just wear the $50 suit? We can't afford that. But then knowing that at this level, these were the suits, it can be tennis rackets, it can be baseball bats, gloves, shoes, right? Sports become really, really expensive, even in youth sports. And so we know where to spend money and where not to spend money is an important discernment. So because of our experience in swimming, we knew like, okay, this is an area we spend money. (laughs) And I still find myself like uber frugal on one thing I need right now in my life is I need nail clippers. I don't know where all our nail clippers have gone. The nail clipper I used the other night was from when my kids were babies. It's like, I think a Gerber nail clipper or something. Again, there's where my frugality is showing up, right? My old identity of, oh, you just must sacrifice. You must go without. And it's in nail clippers. That's the first thing I could think of as an example, right? So there's that dichotomy of like, oh, I could, I'm willing to spend $518 over here, but not go and buy another nail clipper at the store. <laughs> Again, because we have these rules, these prison walls in our life about what's okay to spend money on what's not. A lot of it, it's inherited. It's inherited from our family structure. It's inherited from our cultural programming or our social conditioning amongst our peers. So being really clear of what is this identity, it can be amongst about homes. Where do you live? It could be about what do you spend money on in terms of support, right? Do you, are you willing to pay for support? Is there money within your budget, within your finances to be able to hire support? Some people, it's really important for them to have a gardener or a cleaning service. Some people really, you know, believe in doing it themselves, both my husband and I, we have these, we have these really smart fathers, really, really smart fathers who could build stuff, who were really, really handy. And I was fortunate because my dad had me help him build a lot of things. My husband is not at all handy. And so when we have done home projects, it has not worked out very well. <laughs> and I remember it was in this office, we were trying to wire some, I don't know, cable or something under the house into this office right? And we're like, we'll do it ourselves. We'll be, we're resilient. We've got grit. We can do it ourselves. There were so many (laughs) F-bombs that were just like, you know, with the dropping of stuff, all of this stuff. And it wasn't at each other, but in that space. And I was like, this is money well worth spent to hire somebody else to solve this problem, right? Now, I get that. That's a privilege that we have, And if you can't buy it, you can always look at, and I've become really resourceful. Who are the people that I know that can help me, especially in the years that we didn't have those resources to do that, right? I had this great handyman for a long time and I used to hire him 
my girlfriend would just like look at me and she was just kind of amazed and kind of shook her head at me, but I didn't take on her any judgment she may have. But I used to hire him to hang pictures, not joking. There was so much perfectionism in me and doing it wrong that it was worth it for me when he was here doing other jobs to hang the the pictures and they're in my office and he hung them. That was my capacity. But I had to get over the family of origin story of we should do it ourselves because that is how we grew up within our family of origin household, right? Because our fathers did that stuff, but we don't have the skill sets or the mental mindset or temperament to do it. And then there's the other side is both of our fathers worked on our cars growing up and we more than easily, more than happily, my husband's willing to take our car into our mechanics shop and get it worked on. So it's interesting. Each of us have taken on certain rules of our past and said, no, this is an absolute, like with me with the nail clippers, right? And then there's other times we're like, yes, this is how it was done. But of course, I'm going to understand my limitations and bring it to my mechanic. Paying attention to our past self-identities, to our family of origin ways, which then creates the prison walls of what's okay and what's not okay, right? And sometimes it could be that the family may have said, this isn't valuable, or, you know, you shouldn't go get a massage, right? Like who gets a massage? People who are too much. I mean, I'm a person who does. And when I first started, like almost, I think 18 years ago, the story that I would go was like, oh, well, if I don't get a massage, I can't walk, right? That was like the justification. Getting a massage now is about my taking care of me. It's about having that space. It's about receiving you know, I get to support a business owner that I really respect. So it's a nice trade and I get to receive and I get taken care of and I get to have some space for my brain. So it's something that I do regularly. It's not something that I could have done 30 years ago. I didn't have those resources, right? But it is something now that I've built into my life and I'm okay with. And I didn't grow up seeing that happen in our family, my family growing up, because we didn't have those resources. And my parents also chose to spend money in other ways, right? So there's not a right or wrong. It's about getting clear of what do you choose to spend resources on, right? And getting really clear of what are the obstacles. A couple of other areas are social groups, right? What's allowed in that social group? What's expected in that social group? Sometimes it's the pressure of like, oh, we have to spend this in order to we think belong, but really it's to fit in. But what's allowed in that social group, you know, and if you get something, if you wear something and maybe people judge you and go, oh, you're just getting too big for your peers, right? Or there's judgment or there's snarkiness. And if it's something that you love and delight and you can afford it and you're not hurting anybody, you're not stealing, that's your choice to make. But our social groups can be an obstacle. We get jealous or we can get envious instead of like being excited for somebody of like, wow, how cool that you did that. And if that is possible for you, what can be possible for me? That question is a way that I have changed my relationship with money. Seeing other people who had other opportunities, you know, maybe they had families that came, had money who had different careers and looking at their possibilities, looking at their lives and going, what can I learn from this? And if that's possible for them, being inspired, going, okay, what's possible for me? 
and not going into comparison, but being truly inspired. The other obstacle about affordability is our spouses, right? Our family members, and it can also be gender roles. And oftentimes like those gender roles and our spouses, those intimate relationships. I had somebody say this to me. Remember, I don't know if you recall, but last fall I decided I was tired of freezing and I was turning on the the furnace more because that was something else that I had been like, you know, being restrictive of over the years. And I was talking to a girlfriend of mine, we were at the airport and she looked at me, she's like, did Pete allow that? (laughs) I don't even know if she realized what she said, (laughs) right? Did my husband allow it, right? Here we were in 2022 and she's asked me, does he allow it? But that is what happens. Like we are socially conditioned to think, does my husband approve of it? If I'm a woman, I may have less say even though women have a lot more rights financially than we did back in the 60s, right? We have rights. And so it's about having the ability and having to talk about money, having the courage to talk about money. I didn't take offense to it. I realized, made the generous assumption. She was just in awe that maybe she thought it was about my husband. Maybe that's just how she plays with money. I don't know, but I didn't take offense to it. I just didn't take it on. So there's these obstacles about where we choose to spend our money. Again, family of origin, our past self-identities, our social groups, our spouses, family members, the gender roles. And the other part is, is what we've been taught to value. So again, we'll go back to the swimsuits, right? There is kind of a ridiculousness about spending five to $800 on a swimsuit that doesn't last that long. And we've all bought into it culturally, but I understand the value and the importance of it. And, and it becomes a competition changer. And there's a certain time in one's career when it's really important. You can't just like put it on and not do the work. It's, it's not like a Superman's cape that makes you Superman or a superwoman, right? But it definitely is something that is allowed. It's levels the playing field and having those suits. And there's a psychological component, right? So that is something that we've come to understand the value in the sport that we do. And the same thing can be said about my coffee. Like for me, there is value in having my coffee and my grandparents would shriek at the idea of spending $6 on a cup of coffee or a latte, right? Cause that's what they would, they would spend that probably not even that much to go to Lions and have coffee and pie in the afternoon. And I'm walking away with one coffee and they had two people's coffees and pies and refillable coffees for less than that. Right. So they wouldn't have had the value that I have and that's okay. So some of it's the the conditioning. The other part is I'm going to say this word and I really rumbled with it of putting it in, but sometimes it's like the ignorance, like we're often misled with what it really takes, what may go on behind the scenes, right? So it's like the swimsuit, knowing when the suit swimsuit's really appropriate to enter into it and when it doesn't make sense. When spending that money on the suit is actually not going to help. It's just going to deplete your pocketbook versus when it's time to spend the money and where is that sweet spot of spending the money, right? What we have learned is like that some of the suits that may look like fast suits, but they're a hundred to $200 in range. They don't have the compression and then having athletes. And I've never worn one of these, these kind of suits. We used to have paper suits that were supposedly made us go fast. They cost like $45 and they're see-through. So you saw everything. 
and they, they weren't comfortable. They hurt and they're hard to put on, but then they're thin paper, like, but listening to athletes and learning from them, there's different levels of suits. And sometimes the more expensive one isn't necessarily the better one, right? So we've kind of figured that part out. So we've learned and been curious about the suits versus being ignorant. Cause my old self would have been like, well, shoot, I never used this $500 suit and I'm a division two national champ. That would be me being ignorant instead of, okay, as the sport is adapt, what parts are really important and what parts don't matter and getting really clear about that. Right. And so like an area that I still don't believe that really matters is I don't think you have to spend $60 on a pair of goggles and, you know, for people 12 and over speedo vanquishers are just fine. Or for those of you old schoolers that can wear Swedish goggles, Swedes for like $3.95, that is fantastic. I really, really tried in the 80s because I wanted to be hip and cool like all the Olympians and they hurt and I never liked them. But man, $3.95 or $2.95 back when they were, and I think they're still pretty cheap now. For some people, those are fantastic. They're not less than. So knowing where to spend money, but understanding the value, right? And what is conditioned, what we may not know, right? And we're also often misled, right? There's so much cultural programming, propaganda around, oh, this is what it takes to get this done, right? Versus what really goes on behind the scenes to get it done, you know? And so an example of this, I mean, just in what I do, I'm a coach. I'm a leadership coach. I work with executives. I've worked with leaders. I work with entrepreneurs, right? Them having coaching is one of the things that helps them so that they can be a brave leader so they can go figure things out so that when they have things that are crushing, they can work on it and then go back out there, right? It's not that they're just magical, special born people, right? And you've maybe heard me talk about this with the chariots of fire, where back then in the Olympics, if you had a coach, if you had an athletic coach, you were considered a cheater because it was all about God-given talent. And we do the same bullshit when it comes to successful people. We think, oh, they did this all on their own. We do it ourselves, right? DYI. And we just have grit and perseverance and we get there. And then, you know, 20 years goes down the road and you go, what's wrong with me? It's not that. It's there's a whole system in place. You may just not know the invisible structure. But we think because we see a lot of famous people and we think, oh, wow, you know, they have, whether it's Oprah, Oprah was, she had 400 people at Harpo Studios that worked in her company to put that show on every day. There's a lot of people so that we could see 40 minutes of television, right? Martha Stewart, it's not just a woman that's at her home that's coming up with all this stuff and having parties. She has teams of people, right? Every athlete that we watch on the Olympics, athletes who we see on television, not only do they have their coach, they may be working with a a mindset coach, a physical trainer, right? They have a whole team of people. And so understanding that there are these teams of people that are supporting, sometimes the teams are our own family members. Maybe it's a spouse, right? Maybe it's a parent that's helping you with your kids. Maybe it's an aunt or an uncle. So there's all these teams. So my point is, is that 
be careful when you're evaluating and saying, I shouldn't need this, or I'm not going to value this because you may be not seeing the invisible structure of support that that person has. So with all that being said, those are the obstacles. Now, what do we do? The first thing you want to do is get clear and real with yourself on what your money is for. I kid you not. I ask myself this question all the time. Like, what is this money for? Because my 20 year old self would have said, oh, by the time I'm 50, I won't care. I'll just spend it willy nilly. And I'm probably more deliberate now than I was when I was 20 about how I choose to spend my money. And there's vulnerability. There's decisions to make, right? I have a company. There's sometimes they're big decisions, but I'm still deliberate even with the small amounts of money that I spend. Obviously, when I'm (laughs) not buying nail clippers, I will be buying nail clippers next time I go to the store. So getting clear and real with yourself about what your money is for. A long time ago, I had all this anxiety because I was going to this store. I was like at Target and I go to Target and I'd be like, oh, I should buy shower curtains. The ones that we have are kind of old or, you know, oh, I should buy this. And it was kind of impulse purchases. It was just as one of my clients called it today, retail therapy, right? It was kind of this dopamine hit of I can buy something materialistic, feel a little bit better, not really need it, and then beat myself up that I bought it. And I hated that relationship. And so I decided that what I would do instead is I would create a bank account where I'd put money in. It was an allowance and it was permission to spend money on household items. I kid you not, I still have this account. And I just actually this year, I increased it because I'd had the same amount of money for, I don't know, 20 some years. And so I just increased it this year. Every month it automatically comes out of my checking. It goes into there. And the reason I did that was I always had the money in my checking account, but then there would be this decision fatigue of, do I spend it? Do I not? Do I spend it? Oh, I shouldn't. I should be more disciplined. You know, it was mental mindset shit show that was going on in there. And so by making this decision, then the money would be there. And then at a point where we need a new couch, I'd be like, okay, this is how much we have in there. And then it became kind of this game of, okay, this is the max I can spend. If I find something less than that and I love it and it fits the Venn diagram, there we go. And so I started to do that. And that is another way that I've created and changed my relationship with money. And I've healed my relationship with money. So getting clear and real with myself about what my money is for. And that money, let's be real, that money is after making sure that all our basic needs are met, right? Our housing, our food, all of that stuff, the needs that we need to function and survive and and move on with this world so that we're not stressed about that. Then this is the extra. And I kid you not, I once coached somebody a long time ago who was a high income earner had all the shame and guilt about not putting money away for her son. She just never took the time. She was busy with her career. She had a pretty powerful career and she hadn't done it. And she was a single parent. And I said to her, I said, well, what about if you got like a mason jar and just started sticking in, you know, $5 into this jar, like on a Friday night or something at the end of the week, like for her, $5 was something that was just, you know, kind of floating around that small step. I kid you not was the catalyst about three months later for her to go, you know, I need to get over my uh, obstacle of not starting this college savings account. And she started then putting away $250 a month. And she had that money. It was originally going just 
to restaurants or to other stuff. And she started giving that money a job to do and putting it towards her son's college 529 account, right? So never discount small amounts. We can start small, build that muscle, and then create that. That's what my client did with the success of two years of exceeding her financial goals. We celebrated the small steps along the way. And then what happened was she exceeded what she thought was originally possible for herself two years ago. It's important to get clear and real with ourselves about what our money is for and a note of caution. We can also bullshit ourselves into buying things that the money was not truly for. Remember when I was at Target and I was just buying stuff and I was there, I was like, oh, it's a sale, you know, that taps into that, like, oh, I must be frugal, but without asking, is this something I need? Is this something we want? Do I love it? Right. And like not having that discernment, instead, just going to that programming of, oh, it's it's on sale. You should get it, get it before, or maybe you need it just in case. (laughs) Check in with yourself because oftentimes when we're bullshitting ourselves, it's because of our conditioning. And there's a lot of morality when it comes to money, right? Morality. Oh, you're, you're really a good person or you're a bad person or you're sinful for wasting money. You're making choices with money, right? And I know I said earlier that I, I do consider myself really good with money. I have developed skill sets where that, and I live in congruence with my integrity and my values. And I don't do it perfectly. I absolutely don't do it perfectly right? I've done it consistently well enough over time that has really changed my relationship with money and changed what I experienced with money when I was a kid growing up to where I am now. Let go of morality and let go of judgment because that can trigger the where we lie to ourselves, right? And getting really honest. I had a client who had some leases on a car, on two cars, and they had justified these leases a while ago because, you know, they got a really good deal on it. But as she did more and more work with me, you know, and then the lease was coming up, she got really clear of like, you know, this car was a fancy brand name car is a luxury car is not something that really is truly what we can, where we want to put our dollars towards, right? It was creating a lot of financial stress for them. And so they did not lease that caliber of car again and actually decided to go down and have one car instead of having, you know, the fancy BMW. And they said, you know, we can go with one car for the time being, create more resources and then get another car. But for right now, we can make this choice. So getting really clear, but the only reason she was able to come to that is there wasn't judgment and she had to work on not judging herself for how they chose to make that decision in the past, right? It's really, really powerful work to let go of judgment. Then we can own our story, right? It's what Brene says, owning your story and loving yourself is the bravest thing you can do. We want to cultivate an honest relationship with ourselves so that we can have a relationship with money where we can discern what the money is for. What is this money for? And if you truly can't afford it now, what can you do? to create the funds so you can afford it in the future. There were things when I was younger that I wanted to do that I couldn't do. And I think I talked about this, like, you know, I always had this dream since 1980 when Julie from The Love Boat went to Australia and to Sydney. I wanted to go to Australia. And I didn't know how a poor girl like me could go to Australia, right? And let alone Sydney. That was a dream. And I didn't even believe it that much. 
And then fast forward, that was 1980, 2019, I find myself in Sydney, Australia. I'm there doing work, right? I'm walking along and I see the opera house. There's the bridge. Like I'm exploring a lot of Australia and I'm living the dream. I had so many tears. And so there was a point in my life where there were opportunities and affordability and eventually my family came out, right? And we were able to do stuff. But that was not something in 1980 that I believe that could ever be possible for me. It was not something in my 20s that I even really allowed myself to dream. I didn't know how something like that could happen. And then in 2019, that had happened. And I'm coming back to Australia this summer. Well, our summer, there'll be um, some workshops and stuff when I come out there in person. We'll be letting you know. So make sure you're on the list for that. But going back to if you can't afford something, what can you do to create the funds so you can afford it in the future? So your future self can be able to have that experience, have that experience like I did in 2019. That little eight-year-old girl inside of me was mind was blown of, wow, this is the life that I've cultivated for myself. And I didn't do it on my own. There's my spouse, right? Family, work I do, my, my company, my team, the clients that I work with, I didn't do it on my own. But wow, how cool is that? So I get it. Our relationship with money is complicated. We have lots of stories. We have lots of cultural programming and lots of social conditioning about what's okay and what's not okay. We can change our relationship with money. And we don't need to do it by beating ourselves up. And we don't need to do it by restricting ourselves and white knuckling it and going on a diet. And yes, I've got great news. Compassion plays into having an honest relationship with money, right? That way you can have trust with yourself and compassion and learn, hey, here's where I spent money and was in line with, you know, our budget, our plans, our values. And here it wasn't. And maybe I could have done things differently. And what can I learn to move forward so I don't do that again? And that is about having permission based spending. I'm not a big fan of budgets, but permission-based spending. And that's what I talked about earlier about having that household account where the money is already decided ahead of time. Not when I'm in a place of need, not when I need to be reactive, but the money's already set aside so that when I'm in that space, I have grounded confidence and I can make a decision of what is this money? Do I want to spend this money on this choice, on this opportunity? Knowing what you need to take care of yourself, right? And take care of your responsibilities. Having money set aside for savings. So there's the needs we want to make sure that we take care of. There is having money set aside for savings. There's also having money set aside for things you want, which can include wanting support. Now, some of you may say, great, Corinne, you live this toddy dot life. That's not possible for me. I know when I've sat in your seats, I'd be like, that's great for them. But what about me? When I was a poor kid, (laughs) I used to, I don't know how I got it. I used to save pennies and nickels and all of that stuff. And I did this permission-based spending back then. And I would walk down to the local 7-Eleven because there was one in my neighborhood. I'd walk down there and I'd go and find out what I could buy with my six cents. And it was usually a couple hard candies. And I kept practicing that skill set. I didn't realize back then I was cultivating this permission-based spending that I now coach on. 
But I did that and I would collect money and I would save money, save my dollars, save my quarters. I saved every penny. And then, you know, when I was like probably in fifth and sixth grade, I think Michael Jackson was totally in love with him. And I go buy the teen magazines and I come back and I felt like the richest person in the world. I got this magazine that I wanted from 7-Eleven with my own agency, my own choice, nobody telling me what I could or couldn't do. And I'd read the magazine and I cut it up and I'd tape it on my wall. That was permission-based spending. Never judge how much money you start to save because when you get into the habit of putting the money aside, right, and you the money grows and then you have that money, that feels way better than buying stuff and putting yourself into debt right? Which it may, you may get that dopamine hit from retail therapy, but not when it's come from money that you do not have. So this takes practice. And I want you to go back to, or I'm inviting you to go back to, it's not about, can you afford it? It's, do you choose to spend money on this? That gives you agency. That's about you being the leader of your life with your values and your priorities, you know, and be honest with yourself. Is it okay for you to go into debt for this? There are certain things that for me to go through college and pay for myself through school that I did take out student loans, right? So I'm not saying that debt is bad. Debt can be supportive and we can also bullshit ourselves into a large amount of debt. So being really clear about that, okay? Do this, own your story, love yourself, look at your money and ask yourself these questions. Have those brave conversations with other stakeholders. So if it's a partner, it's family members, the more that you can talk about money, shame can exist. I'm smelling big for you. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short, they're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. Never been so wide